Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts. Our next partner has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a simple all-in-one solution as opposed to the ever-changing variety of supplements I have been taking for as long as I can remember. Sometimes up to three ramekins a day full of pills and powders trying to find the right formula for peak performance. Now that I've been taking Athletic Greens for a few months, I love it and I will never go back. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take one scoop in the morning on an empty stomach and an additional one in the evening when I'm feeling run down. I've seen such a difference in my own performance that I recently ordered additional AG1 for the rest of my family to use. It costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit, and supports better sleep quality and recovery, in addition to mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com contacts. Again, this is athleticgreens.com contacts to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Elroy's Fine Foods, the Uncommon Market. A revival of the community market, promising you an uncommon shopping experience and the finest of groceries and prepared foods. When Chloe and I first envisioned what Elroy's Fine Foods would become, we wanted to build a market that was focused on building community. A beautiful store that not only sells incredible foods, but also prioritizes environmental and social responsibility, and provides the community with a safe space to shop, eat, and hang out. Elroy's Fine Foods is located in Monterey, California, offering the most delicious prepared foods, curated groceries, certified organic produce, a full-service bulk food section, fine cheeses, natural wines, local beers, and humanely raised meats and sustainably caught seafood. Elroy's Fine Foods, the Uncommon Market, 15 Soledad Drive, Monterey, California. Welcome to the Contacts Coaching Podcast, dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. 
In addition to sport-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Clem. Welcome back to the Contacts Coaching Podcast. We are joined today by Sam Allen, co-host of the Hardwood Hustle, director and upper management member at PGC Basketball and founder of Blue Collar Basketball. Calling in from Atlanta, Coach, thanks for being here today. That was a fancy upper management. I just got a new title. Considering I don't know what it exactly is, I do know you're part of the leadership team, so we just went with that. Coach, Given your involvement in multiple spaces, I want to go way back to the beginning. How did you get into coaching? What was your journey before that led you to that first step into this space? And, and, and what was the process like for you landing into the world of coaching? So to answer that question, I'll start with, I grew up playing sports, love, love playing a lot of sports on the street, on the playground organized, unorganized, and basketball was always a first love, true love. And so I got serious with basketball as a player, probably around ninth grade. That's where I'd say I started to get a plan on my training and, and getting serious with it. And I tell a story where I was a 30-30 guy in my ninth grade year of being the guy that went in the game, we were up 30 or down 30. And then I had a coach pull me in a post season evaluation meeting and challenge me and basically say if you want to be this you better do this and this and you don't always know you're in those life-defining moments when you're in them but then you can reflect back later so long story short I, I, I started working and becoming a better player and I eventually earned a college scholarship and went and played four years of college ball and my senior year probably about Midway through, my coach at the time, my head college coach said, Sam, I want you to come back and be my assistant next year. And I was a history major, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't have great direction. Some of these coaches, you may be one of them, like, hey, I knew I wanted to be a coach when I was nine years old. I'm like, wow, good for you. That was not me. So I like actually sat on it and... um at one point, he pulls me in two months later, and he's, hey, I got to know an answer. And um, I was procrastinating because I didn't know. And so I ultimately said, all right, I'll do this because I love basketball. I love competing. I was like, didn't know what I wanted to do, so I, I did coaching. Well, so get, to get to there, I got into coaching. And then you realize really quickly how impactful you can be as a coach and impacting other people. And so for that reason, I started to fall in love with coaching. So I'll stop there. That, that's probably the initial way if I hopefully answered your question. Absolutely, and I appreciate that. And to your point, no, I wasn't one of those guys. I figured it out probably sophomore year of college. I was managing the men's basketball team and I was enjoying it. I, I was probably junior year. I think I want to coach. And it was like, in order to do that, you have to be able to teach. So. I was a religious studies major and I had to figure out what I could teach at the public school. So 
quickest way to another degree was an English major. So I got that and then that's what led me into it in that space. But what would you say, since you transitioned very quickly from being a player to a coach, were a handful of things that you became aware of very quickly that you needed to figure out, both from a coaching standpoint and from a transitional standpoint in roles, player, coach, what was that shift like? What did you realize? Because it just hits you in the face that you didn't necessarily think about in advance. When I hear that, it's a great question. But when I hear the first probably two things that come up for me is one, that the players I was coaching didn't love it like I did. Mm-hmm. Number two, that just because I could do something as a player doesn't mean I could teach it to another player. Sometimes what innately I did, whether that was through just stuff I learned as a player, I didn't like I played point guard. And so I'd have like our point guards ask me questions about how to do this and that. And I could always show them. I don't think I always could articulate it well, which reminds me something I'm very passionate about but I see this in Atlanta a lot I don't know I'm sure it happens all over the country but you'll see like professional players whether the NBA WNBA or just overseas players who get out of playing and they transition to coaching and then a lot of kids or families or parents will invest time money resources into them and being a great player doesn't make you a great coach Being a great player can help you as a coach, no doubt about it, but I see that mistake happen a lot. And I I like to say that and remind people, like, it doesn't matter what I did as a player. Yeah, I I, I accomplished some things as a player, and I'm very grateful for that and proud of those things. I was a few years ago inducted to my college Hall of Fame as a player, and that meant a lot to me, but that doesn't make me a great coach. It just helps maybe give me some credentials and validate, but so... Again, I, I, I get away from your question. I don't even remember what the question was. Oh, what I learned when I first got into coaching. So that's what I that's what I recall right now answering it 20 years later. No, I love the answer because it highlights two things that people run into when they first get into the profession that those of us that have been in it a long time know. One, you probably are way more passionate than the majority of the people on your team, especially if you're coaching at the youth and high school levels, probably the college level for that matter as well. And, and two, just because you can do it yourself doesn't mean you can instruct it. And I've actually watched in the classroom throughout my teaching career that my colleagues who are most decorated and educated, like from a degree standpoint, often struggle conveying that knowledge to the students because they understand it at such a high level, they cannot dumb it down uh, for the age appropriate delivery that is needed. So I think those are great answers and I appreciate you sharing that. I'm curious from that first role as an assistant, what did the rest of that journey look like before you stepped off the proverbial court and founded blue collar basketball more as a director than a institutional coach what other stops did you have what'd you learn at those and then what led you into founding this organization I just cringe when I think back at my early days of coaching (laughs) 
I know that's one of my first. What they say, what you don't know won't kill you. Actually, no, actually it can kill you. You need to know some things like what you eat, what you put in your body, what we need to be knowledgeable. And I, yeah, I, gosh, I apologize to any players I coached back in the day that didn't know what I was doing. And so it's important for coaches. We just did an interview earlier this morning on the Harwood Hustle with a, a show to be released later with one of the best teachers in the game. But it's just so important to continue to grow as a coach so that you can grow the people around you. Mono Watts, the president and owner of PGC, says that often is if you want to grow others, you better grow yourself. So, you know, Justin, to circle back here to your question on what that journey looked like. So I got into coaching, coached for almost 10 years at the college level. And I have three kids, but my wife and I at the time, we were... We had, we had one, our oldest boy now who's 12. And then she was, our two boys are 20 months apart. And when she was pregnant with our second son, I started to really full a tug and a pull on my heart that man in college coaching, I'm spending a lot of time recruiting players that I never will coach and spending all this time with players that I'll never get to really impact. And I was on the road five, six, sometimes seven days a week. Like I was, I was, I got after it. That's how I prided on work, but I was gone a lot. And like I said, I want to coach because I want to teach. I want to be on the court. I want to impact kids. I use basketball to teach life. And I was doing a lot of recruiting and I love like aspects of it, but I recognize not sure this is the best fit. And I had always, when I was getting my master's degree, I'd written out a business plan of starting my own organization to, to, cause of my player development story. Like I mentioned earlier, the 30, 30 thing. And so I always love player development and I just, I took a bet on myself and took a chance and a step and a leap of faith. And we moved, we were living out of state and in, in Alabama at the time we moved back to Atlanta and started blue collar basketball for those reasons. And I had no idea what I was doing in terms of running a business. I just knew I wanted to work with kids and, and I had some very growing pains of like, I was coaching high level college players and then boom, now I'm working with this seventh grade kid who can't make a layup on a park. And I'm like, what am I doing? I did enjoy working with higher level players who were really committed. Mm -hmm. So then shortly after starting Blue BCB, Justin, I, I did attend my first PGC session as, an, as a uh, volunteer staff member. And in the very first classroom session, I was blown away by what was being taught. And keep in mind, this is, I had been coaching for 10 years in college. I had been all over the country learning from some great coaches and going to clinics and watching. I watched every coaching DVD known to man, every VHS. And I was, thought I was a good coach or thought I was well-informed and knowledgeable. But I realized in that moment and in that week, ultimately at PGC that, oh man, I got a lot, I got to get better. I got to communicate better. I got to teach better. Mm -hmm. And so with PGC, it put me on a path to becoming a better teacher, a better communicator, and just a, ultimately a better coach. And I went from being like this volunteer staff and then now one of the directors, I don't really direct much anymore, but and ultimately in the role of PGC coaching. And that's that's been my journey up to this point. And yeah, I just love growing, love seeking out growth. Yeah, I want to touch on two things there. One, for those of you that are listening, if you have not attended a session at PGC Basketball, you are doing yourself a tremendous disservice 
even if you are not a basketball coach. My first session, which used to be called prep school, I think it's like Playmaker College now, whatever, but I learned more about teaching in my classroom experience from that than I did basketball coaching. So there is utility there for anyone. I highly recommend you go. I go every summer for a week just to refresh and my children go and it's been great. So I'll give you that plug, Sam, because I'm with you on that. That I had sent kids before, but I had never attended. And then once I finally did, it totally pivoted my approach and um, uh, super valuable information. Number two, I would like to ask what transferable skills have you figured out by going from highest level to kid who can't make a layup on an outdoor court and figuring out how to instruct, teach, coach that development stage that helped you actually be better with the elite development stage what did you see in yourself that you learned with the younger group that you started translating when you worked with the more elite kid athletes that you trained and I ask that because I'm the varsity basketball coach at the school as well as the athletic director and I also coach middle school girls and it gives me a completely different lens but it has been so important in my evolution in how I coach all of our athletes that I make sure I keep a foot in both worlds like every year. Yeah. Another great question. You got some good questions. So first off, celebrate you on your question asking. The thing I think about that is this, like I have to put on a different hat every time I step on the floor, meaning when I, right now I'm coaching our 17 U team of guys, a lot of guys that are, very high level high school players, most of which will go and play college basketball anywhere from division one to division three. And so how I coach them is significant, not is different than when I go step on a court, when I'm working with our fourth grade team, My, the goals are different, right? At the end of the day, where, what I need to always keep in mind is as a coach, I'm, I'm there to serve. I'm there to serve my players. And anything more or less is getting away from the main thing. So I'm there to serve them. I'm there to help them become a better player, better person, and, and be a positive influence on their life. And so that needs to be at the front of my mind. Does my competitive juices take over at times? Absolutely. Do I fall short of that? 100%. But that's got to be at the front of my mind. And I hopefully for a lot of coaches or all coaches, that's why what you're there to do is just to serve the kids you coach. But when I coach a fourth grader, my goal is for the, my wife sent me this, this uh, post or text uh, a couple months ago that was so true. I don't know if she was trying to coach me up or not, but she said, your value as a coach coaching your 11U team is not you know, measured whether you win the 11U championship. It's measured in does everybody come back and sign up for 12 you you've probably seen it yep absolutely I keep, I keep that in mind it is and i take great pride and we in our bcb programs one of the best compliments we can get is when parents will text me or call me or i'll be in a conversation and say when my son or daughter got in the car they couldn't stop talking about practice and they were so giddy and they were you know saying how much fun it was like that's a huge win mm -hmm. and can you be fun and be serious? Yes. Can you be fun 
and have really high standards? Yes. And I think sometimes we want to put them on opposites and you got to pick a side. It's like you can be a transformational coach and be really competitive and want to win championships. You can be a trans, like sometimes we say, oh, the transformational coach that wants to be at weddings and invited to uh, baby showers. It's like, yeah, and that doesn't mean they're soft. Mm-hmm. It being a transformational coach is hard work, man. It's a lot harder than a transactional coach mm-hmm. because then you can clock in and clock out. And when you're transformational, you're all in. You're doing more than what's asked of you. And so I'm getting excited again. I think I might have got away from your question. What was your question, by the way? Honestly, I don't remember. It's not important. Your answer was great. What I want to take from that is validate what you said. You can be a transformational coach. You can have high standards. And again, this isn't a celebrate PGC pod, but I find myself often after 10 years of sessions doing it in a very similar way where you're making comments that are very standard setting, but with some levity and some prodding in a way that gets you to the same place but without the old school that maybe you and I grew up with. And even before that, just the taskmaster approach where there was no, no space for mistakes. And I think that you highlight that to a T it's very hard work. It's different. You, you have to do some other things. You have to invest in relationships. And then the, the basketball, the, the vehicle of basketball is really there to teach leadership, followership, to help people understand how to be part of something bigger than themselves. And I think well, that you nailed that. And and sorry to interject, I would say Monty Williams made this popular a year ago in the playoffs where he said, I call them up, call them up. And I agree with that. And I'm I'm building on your thought, but I want to add a little side note to it is when you're in practice as a coach and your team isn't bringing it, like the energy's not there, the the mood's not right, the effort's not where you want to be. You could blow the whistle and say, get on the line. And we're going to run a suicide and we better get this. Guess what? Your effort at practice is going to get better because you know why? They don't want to run again. Mm-hmm. And so you got the result you wanted, but you also played probably the short game. I want players to want to work hard because they want to work hard because that's the standard we have and because that's what you do in life. And you because part of being a great teammate is working really hard. That's giving great effort. And so I don't want to use a threat or a punishment. Now, don't get me wrong. We'll we'll do like, we'll do some competitive stuff and the loser will have some sideline sprints or push-ups to put something on it. Or we might say, hey, you won that game. You get to do 10 push-ups. Losing team, you don't get to do push-ups. You get to get stronger winning team. But I think that's important as coaches. It's called, let me go back to what I'm saying here. You can call them up and you can call them out sometimes. Mm -hmm. So last night at at practice, I was running. I thought we were really good for 90 minutes. And I thought it's two hour practice is a long practice, but like the last 30 minutes, I didn't think was good. And I, I told him at the end, I said, guys, I just, I, I loved how we showed up, but the last 30 minutes, it just wasn't good enough. Like our standards weren't met. And I said, I could get passionate right now and, and chew you guys out and challenge you. But what needs to happen is you guys need to hold each other accountable. And there's times like, you know, how I, just to be really transparent, when I lead a PGC session in a camp setting with 160 athletes, I put on a little different hat when I'm running my team. I'll, I'll be a little bit tougher. I'll, I'll come at them a little stronger in a direct way. But I also hope in my maturity as a coach over the years, 
that it goes back to what we said a minute ago that I'm serving them. And it's not about me because sometimes I let the ego get in the way. Oh, they're not working hard. Oh, that looks bad on me as a coach. And I got to call like, I don't want to source it from that place. I want to source it from a place of not fear, but like love and serving them. Let's pivot into this. Then you are going to take a new job that's in the institutional setting, be it high school, be it college, be it grade school, whatever it is. What are your non-negotiables? What are the things that you are going to teach and hold to standard? And how do you go about implementing that from the standpoint of you need your players to buy in, right? And you go with the cliche, a player-led team is always going to be a coach-led team. So how do you soup the nuts, bullet points, but just as you're giving advice to people that are listening, hey, we're starting from scratch, boom, boom, boom. And then we're reinforcing and here's how we're doing that. Real easy for, we use this in the BCB is number one, give your best effort. I like to redefine that as compete. Like competing is another level of effort. Okay. But we can keep it simple. Number one, give your best effort. Number two, be a great teammate. Number three, be coachable. Now we can spider web out from those and you can't just say them and leave them alone because players are all defining those. If, if you as the coach just said it to your team, you got 14 different ways they're receiving it because that kid over there has a definition of effort. That kid over there has another definition of effort. This kid over here has a that They think being a great teammate is this other kid thinks being a great teammate is this. Mm-hmm. So then we, we define it. And we do what I call teacher talk, not coach speak. Coach speak being really general, teacher talk being very specific. Mm-hmm. And so we put some language and some more tangible ways we can live it out. Yep. And when we say give great effort, I think that's a great foundational piece because if I, me and you, Justin, are teammates and I'm going to be a great teammate to you, i got to give great effort because when we do one-on-one and we're working on defense, offense, whatever. If I don't give my best effort, I'm not making you better and vice versa. And so we say part of being a great teammate is, is giving your best effort. And then we define what is coachability and why that matters. If you're going to be coachable, you have to have a level of humility. You have to leave the ego at the door. And by the way, coaches need to do the same. Do you stand up in front of your team ever and show vulnerability and admit when you fall short? Do you show humility? Are you coachable? Do you allow your players to hold you accountable when you, and, and if you're not falling short, then number one, you probably don't have any standards mm-hmm. or you, your ego so far in the way that you don't have any self-awareness to know that you fall short. And those are the three things. Those would be foundational pillars from which if I was taking over a program or any coach listening, I think you could do really well by just following those three. Absolutely. And I think anybody that's listening, your non-negotiables don't have to be those, but I would think you need to spell them out as quickly as Coach Allen did. And your athletes should also be able to spell them out that quickly and have an understanding. And if not, then that's a task that we all could work towards and try to live out. Is If I asked you what is the most recent thing, it's not a really good word, and I'm sorry for that that you have implemented into your program that you saw somewhere else and you appropriated it. And it's had a tangible 
ripple effect on either your success or your culture or both? What would that be? I, the first thing, there's got to be a better answer because this is not like a culture or leadership thing, which I believe we'd want to double down on. And I always want like all of our BC, we have like about 26 BCB coaches right now. And the thing I always want to reiterate to them is double down on culture, double down on the intangible. If the X's and O's aren't right, work on those and make them right, but double down on those things. Now, here's what, here's my answer. Mike Neighbors, who speaks at a lot of our PGC coaching clinics and has become a good friend and head coach at Arkansas Women, he has a green light shooting system that he used going back to his Washington, University of Washington days. So I took that, I simplified it for what we do and how we can use it. And that's, I think that's big. And I'm going to, I'm going to say why that's big. And I think it actually does tie into culture. So bear with me. When you have a, a green light shooting, let's create a definition here. Green light shooting system is saying, Hey, we have our 15 players and we have a series of shooting drills or drill we do in practice. And then we track all of those stats. And then we have a green light shooter, a yellow light shooter, and a red light shooter. You shoot this percentage from three, you can shoot anytime you're open, let it fly. You're a green light. Yellow light means we got to work the ball around, maybe get chain sides of the floor, maybe get two or three paint touches, and then you can shoot it. Red light, you don't shoot it. If you shoot it, you're coming out of the game. And it's not punished, but it's like, number one, to get uh, players to understand where they're at mm -hmm. so they can be successful. And so our team. And so I love it. And then it hopefully inspires them to go put in work now. And let me clarify. It's not that they can't shoot it. They can take as many uncontested wide open layups as they want. They just can't shoot it from the perimeter. From the perimeter, yeah. Now, if they can't make wide open layups, now that's another discussion, but I don't know what we do there. But here, I would say this, that like bad shots kill team culture in a heartbeat. Especially, let me rephrase, bad shots unaddressed by the coach kill coach. So you could get in your locker room, you could do book studies, you could do your, your Monday culture meetings in an air-conditioned room, you could send out weekly emails to your program, you can have all the slogans on your wall, and you get into practice or games, and you got Christy, who can't shoot, shooting eight threes a game and nothing ever gets said, people are going to get mad if they care about winning, they care about the team. And so as a coach, I do think sometimes that's not taught enough. Like shot, one of the best things PGC, I feel like we're on a PGC infomercial here, but like one of the best things that PGC teaches that to me is shot selection chart, mm -hmm. one through 10 shot selection. So I do think that's a piece. I took what neighbors had created and then created my own version from it. Yeah, I love that. Tyler actually spoke a lot about that when he came and, and spent a few days with our team, not only in the shot selection, but also the variety of games and making it fun and challenging and people can move up and down the shooting ladder. So you're not permanently buried as a red, just depending on how you want to flush that out per team. And it actually gave us uh, a really good definition of those things this year. So I'm with you. I think that's been a huge addition to what we do. And it sounds like it's been something that you've adopted as well. All right. This one, because you're such a basketball guy might not land well, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What have you learned watching other disciplines, 
that you've been able to take and apply to basketball? And it can be whatever. Again, my, my daughters played travel softball for years. I coached that. One played field hockey, one played volleyball. I started watching that and seeing what I could utilize. What have you found outside of the realm of basketball that you've been able to implement and help your athletes grow? Yeah, from like a system and strategy, studying other sports, probably not as much, even though I've got some coaches in our program that coach other sports like lacrosse and stuff. And they talk to me about how they take our basketball stuff and they go throw it into lacrosse. And but I don't know much about lacrosse. I, I study a lot of like football coaches. It's always interesting to me how they manage a staff of multiple coordinators, multiple coaches, so many kids how you get 60, 100 kids to buy into one philosophy. So in football, sitting on that, it's so interesting to me. It's such a selfless sport where you have an offensive lineman just blocking his tail off, getting beat on by a 300-pound person, and they don't get write-ups. They don't get much glory. They do all this dirty or somebody holding up a field goal kicker who has to hold the ball and on the snap. Like they just, you just have to get all people to buy into what's going on. So from that standpoint, that's always interesting to me how coaches get them to buy in and get everybody on a same place culture-wise. I've studied Anson Dorrance. I don't know if you're familiar oh, yeah. with him. UNC women's soccer coach who has won all these national championships in his competitive cauldron. And then I've basketballized it. He, he calls, he learned Justin from Dean Smith. Mm -hmm. the great UNC coach. And he was amazed by how Dean Smith was so organized and prepared. And then he took what Dean did. Let's say Dean, it's probably come coach Smith, what coach Smith did and he soccerized it. Mm -hmm. So then I've studied some Anson Dorrance and tried to basketballize it mm -hmm. in terms of competitive cauldron within our team, where we track competitive things or do more competitive things, having a winner and a loser in practices and, measuring that stuff yeah no i love that you brought that up i'm actually halfway through uh the man watching which is obviously the book about anson dorrance and his time his coaching career and it's fascinating it's a definite must read at some point for people that are trying to grow um and and i like the fact that you have your coaches taking basketball out to lacrosse because I share office space with our head lacrosse coach, and we talk all the time about transferable, not just skills, but strategy things. And I actually was talking to a guy who sees himself as a basketball-only player, and he also plays lacrosse, and he was talking about, how do I become the best basketball player? I'm like, keep playing lacrosse. He's like, what? Why? I'm like, because your defensive awareness has, is through the roof relative to others because of that game. And so I think there's a, a place for that as we grow and develop athletes. How would you say if you had to characterize, I'm going to use the word failure because I don't have a better one, but a memorable failure, uh, shortcoming, something that happened that was transformational for you and how you were able to progress in your coaching career. So a coaching failure that was a great teacher for me. Sure. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. Yeah. I would say, again, I'm just going to go on off the cuff here. When I was coaching in college, you're so measured by your wins and losses and your value as a coach oftentimes. 
even though everything I've said up to this point, you're talking about being a transformational coach and wanting to impact lives. I want to, I want to do that, but then I shouldn't say, but so like also your self-worth or my self-worth was so tied to, are we winning? Are we winning games? Are we winning championships? And if we were falling short of that, I felt like a worthless coach. And I tied a lot of my own self-value to how I was doing as a coach. And and so for two things, like those failures probably forced me to ask better questions. And two things, one, my faith me is a big part of my life and my walk. And so getting grounded there spiritually puts a real centers me and it grounds me on what I would believe is the most important things. And then two, I'm going to go back to a football coach, but like Nick Saban and his, the process. And I know they like make fun of that 76ers, like trust the process, but like. Not anymore the way uh, Embiid is playing. (laughs) No, that's true. That's true. Saban talks about when he was at Michigan State, they were prepping, they were prepping for Ohio State. And he said, you know what? Let's just focus on the process. Let's focus on doing, preparing like a winning team. Don't be married to the results. So he's talked about this a lot. Anybody listening, go YouTube it and you can see him talking about it. But to to summarize it, it really doesn't matter what outcomes we want. You want to make a certain amount of money. You want to get a certain job title. You want to lose a certain amount of weight. It doesn't matter. Only thing that matters is what are you doing on a daily basis? To what And and like this book I'm showing you, you probably won't be able Mm -hmm. to see it if you're listening. I have that at my house. Yeah. So like James Clear and Atomic Habits is a great book, but it talks about creating systems. The systems will create the results don't create it. So if the more we just get married to the day to day commitments and who we do, what, who we want to be, what we want to do, why we do it, the results will take care of themselves. And, and not many coaches can do that. Mm-hmm. Not many because co- we get so caught up in the results but the, the quicker we get married to the systems and building habits or the Navy SEAL way, we don't rise to the level of our dreams and hopes. We fall to the level of our training. And it's so true. And it sounds cliche mm-hmm. and everybody says it, but a lot of people talk about it. Few people be about it. And I'd say be about it. And that's what I've learned. And I still learn. Yeah, no, so much gold in that answer. And people that are listening, you say it sounds cliche, but there were a lot of good cliches in there that people can use and and repeat and remind and instill those in your program. And if you hold people simply to those standards, your level will rise. Let's wrap up. Sorry to interrupt for a second, but like the other thing is if you look at your life, okay, anybody listening to this, me and you talking, there's put things in two categories, things we can control, things we cannot control. Mm-hmm. Where should we put our time and energy mm-hmm. into the it, things we can control? Correct. Where do we put most of our time into the things we can't control? We put them into the outcome of the game, making the shot. We put it into the person who just cut us off in traffic and we just light, laid on our horn and flicked them off and we handed our, out the remote control. We do it. We let people piss us off or tick us off. We let other outside things control everything rather than, and that's really what toughness is. And toughness is your ability to control what you can control and put your time and energy into it. I feel like a thousand percent. That's been a motto in our program since 2004, maybe where 
a guy named Jimmy Carroll that played for Majerus at Utah. And I was interviewing him for a job. And one of my major takeaways was that was what Majerus talked about. So don't spend time worrying about things you can't control. And then I started using that control the controllables, focus on that. And it was actually for me as an adult and as a human being, a important pivotal moment in my life where what you said, what do you do every day? Like my daily process is I try to spend 0% of my time or energy on things that are beyond my control because it's wasted time and energy and living that out isn't always easy, but when you can, it makes things a whole lot easier. And I really appreciate you bringing that up. Let's ask this to wrap up. And this one's always out of left field. So marinate on this as long as you need to. And it definitely does not have to be basketball related. It does not have to be coaching related. It can be about whatever you want it to be about, but Dave, who runs a podcast, Coaching for Leaders, asks this all the time. And the question is, what have you most recently changed your mind on? And by that, the way I've interpreted it is, I used to believe X, and now I believe Y because of this. And it's like the huge kind of, I went from here to here. And it's all the time we're looking at these things as we try to grow as leaders, as human beings, and we have to challenge our belief system. What's the most recent thing, coach, that you've changed your mind on? Oh, man. How much time we got? As long as you need. This is the last question. No, I don't have a great answer here. So again, these are great questions. And so it forces, you're making me better right now. So I appreciate you is I think, I don't know if I changed my mind or just real come to realization. One realization is that I don't know a whole lot, that I need to know more. I need to learn more. I need to, things aren't linear. Things, I need to be adaptable. And maybe the more I learn, the more I know, the more I know I don't know. And then, so for that to happen, there has to be a level of humility involved to get to that place now and this is where it gets interesting and maybe maybe psychology of it maybe you can help me out but so there's a weird thing like I have a lot of confidence as a coach like when I step on the court I feel like I can make players better or help them get better and help team and so I believe in things strongly but I also believe what I just said a moment ago and so it's like how grounding yourself in some pillars and core values but also being open-minded to knowing that what am I missing here? Where are my blind spots? And you can't be so like open-minded and all these things and not be grounded in anything either. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what, that's one thing I, and, and I also like that, I, that I'm just not that important. I'm just like, and so I want to model that for, players too because I think sometimes really good players you know you're feeling yourself or you're doing well athletically in any sport and they get treated better or that like in your situation maybe they get more friends at school or teachers might even hold them to a higher standard whatever it is and so athletes can get elevated in their status and we're really just not that important what's important is like being a good teammate having really authentic, real relationships that are life-giving for you and life-giving for those other people. I don't, I've been thinking about that a lot, like just 
how unimportant I am. I know I'm important to people in my life, of course, like my family and friends or people that I met, whatever it is, but that, that's my answer right now. Ask me tomorrow. I got 10 more things probably. That's the value of the question. If you're trying to figure out what do I really know? What do I don't know? Figuring out the value you bring to the world and you're always trying to grow that. That's the point of the question. It's a growth mindset question, right? How are you challenging and questioning your beliefs and validating them or changing them based on new information daily or weekly or monthly? And what I will say that popped up for me as you were talking is the idea of blind spots and what systems do you, do I, do coaches in the community have in place to hold themselves accountable to their blind spots, right? Are they surrounding themselves with people that are going to watch their blind spots and coach them on their blind spots? And that has been super important for me in the last few years, having people in my life that will point those things out because there are your blind spots for a reason. So I really like that contribution that you had there. I would, I know you might say something else, Again, just this is triggered for me. I'll shout out, I think, because we talked about him earlier, but Mike Neighbors turned me on to um, an author named Annie Duke, who's written a couple <laughs> books. Thinking and, in bets. Yeah, yeah. And and so the idea is we don't, we could probably do a whole podcast on it. Yep. So my brief thought for, again, the audience that may have not read this material is your life basketball is a lot more like poker than it is chess or checkers. Meaning in checkers, if I move this piece here, then that will happen. If I do this in chess, then that'll happen. Mm -hmm. Whereas poker, for those that have or haven't played, like you're making a bet based on the information you have. And there's mm -hmm. a certain percentage that then something could happen. But you could also have a 90% chance of winning and another card flips and you lose. Mm -hmm. And so that basketball coaching is a lot more like that we're trying to make the best decisions with the information we have just like I was trying to be a good coach 12 years ago four years ago and I was just doing the best with what I had at that moment and now I look back with I'm a father of three and being a father has made me a better coach because it's made me more empathetic to to people and that when I'm coaching a kid I'm also coaching a son or a daughter of a parent I know how much my three kids mean to me. They mean everything. Like I could get emotional and cry about it. And so when I coach a kid, I'm coaching somebody's other kid mm -hmm. and they're more than just a player. They're a person. So we're playing poker out here. We're trying to make the best decisions we can. That is hands down one of the most influential books I've read in the last two years. And I've gifted it to more people than any other book I've shared from the standpoint you just mentioned, you have to think in probabilities and then push your chips in based on the best odds and that we have to avoid the idea that Annie Duke brings up called resulting where you are evaluating your decisions based on the results rather than was it actually a good decision. And like you said, yeah, we could do a whole episode on this and we're not going to, but for people that are listening, that is a must read. Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. He also mentioned Atomic Habits. And uh, those are great pickups if you're trying to grow. Are there any other resources, Coach, that you would direct people to that would give them the biggest bang for their buck from a efficiency and time standpoint?
You seem to be on mute. My apologies. Efficiency and time. You mean now we're talking life? We're talking coaching? Absolutely. Look, you're in a space by nature of being in the PGC uh, world in your blue collar basketball, in your fellowship and faith. What are a few things that you have found to be great resources where people can go that are interested in, in getting better at things? Yeah, go to YouTube, go to your local bookstore, go to Amazon, buy a book. We're in an information overload. And so I, I say that somewhat serious, but also somewhat joking. We got all the information. It's like, what are you going to, are you going to do something with it? Mm -hmm. We all, if I wanted to go learn how to run a million dollar business, I, I think I could, if I need to go fix my lawnmower, I can YouTube it all the answers are there. And sometimes we just don't follow our own advice. And that's what I say to myself when I'm in a predicament. And if I call my mentor to ask him a question, let me first call myself saying, mm -hmm. what would you do? Mm -hmm. And then whatever advice I would give. And that's it. Like I need to go do it because mm -hmm. usually we have the answers mm -hmm. and that's younger people or less experienced. Maybe not. You do need that. So I'm going to give you two things. One is the resource you need is truly to invest in yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And that starts in the morning. And so I win my day by winning my morning. I usually win my nights, excuse me. I win my mornings by also winning the night before mm -hmm. in my preparation. And then I automate my mornings. Meaning when I wake up, I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to drink a glass of water. I'm going to grab an apple and one of my nutrition bars. And I'm going out the door and I'm going to go work out. And then when I get home, I'm going to do my gratitude. I'm going to do my devotional. And I now I've trained. I'm, I'm not in this habit. This is where I need to, I need, I used to read at that point. Now life comes at you. If you're a single person, you might have two hours in the morning. I got three kids. I got businesses. I'm running like, I don't have that luxury of time right now, but I, I get myself just in spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, those all kind of work together. And then it allows me to go out and be successful in my day. Now, I don't like, I don't want to, I want to be clear here. I don't have it all figured out and I fall short. I just was in a meeting right before I came on here and I dropped a ball on, on something that I, I couldn't believe I dropped. So that happens. But for the most part, I go win. I go win my days and my weeks and ultimately months and years. And I want to stack those on top. And it allows me uh, to go make a bigger impact on people that I get. To. It's like why you put the oxygen mask on first on the airplane. If I'm dead, I can't help you. If you mean you're sitting together, I don't put that on. I can't help you because I'm dead. Right. And sometimes we're dead, but we're trying to help other people. And we got to get ourselves right. If you want to get right as a coach, and this is not, I have no shame in what I'm about to plug, but PGC coaching is our, our membership. And if, if you want to become a better coach, athletic directors buy this for their coaches at times. We have principals. And so we go really deep and try to help coaches be more successful in all the things we've talked about today from X's and O's to culture leadership. So th those are the resources I would, I'm not going to give advice, but that's what I'm sharing today. Appreciate that, Coach, and I appreciate you taking the time. You're three hours ahead, so your day is already moving along. Thank you so much for being with us. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard 
from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down an Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drink element that's lmnt.com slash contacts.